0: Great video, huh? Benjamin and I have a lot more in common than you want to know. When uh, I found out I was teaching on this, this topic, Loving What You Have, my heart sank. I was like, oh gosh, out of all this staff that could possibly teach this, why did they pick me? You know, and here's the number one reason is I'm a gadget and toy person. I just love them. So this other night, Claire and I are sitting down and we're watching television, and on comes this new commercial for the new Apple computer, the new MacBook. And I have a MacBook that's like a year old, and it's in perfect condition, but still. I saw this commercial. We have a picture of it. And they told us that this thing is made from recycled material. It uses a fourth of the amount of electricity as one light bulb uses. It has no mercury inside of it. And I was like, Clarissa, i got to get my hands on that. That's what I want. What can I sell? What can I do? How can I get this piece of machinery? And Clarissa's just sitting there laughing at me. And she's like, Ryan, you are absolutely ridiculous, And so for me, when I knew I was talking about loving what you have, I was like, man, that's one of the issues that hits close to home for me because I'm always wanting the newest, the latest, the greatest, trying to scheme up or find a way. And I started thinking, man, how much time do I waste thinking about how I could possibly get this or what it would be like to have the greatest computer or this gadget or that gadget. And I was like, what a ridiculous amount of wasted time goes into that for me personally. Do you ever feel that way? you ever feel like, man, Black Friday's, you know, was just come and went, and is all they want to tell you is, hey, you need this. If you had this item, then your life would be satisfied and would be full. And the crazy part is, is when they, when the advertiser, advertisers, <laughs> advertisers, when they advertise, they, they take needs and wants, and they confuse the wants, them. So a need is you need clothing, you need clothes, you need shelter, um, you need friends to some extent, you know, a want is a brand new Toyota truck, you know, with four-wheel drive that can take you up in the mountains and off-roading and do incredible, amazing things. And what they try to convince you is, hey, not only do you want this, you need this Toyota truck. It's going to help you to be the man, the rugged man that you want to be, that's an explorer and an adventurer. And if only you had this truck, then all of life would make sense. And they confuse our needs and our wants. And advertisers come at us from all different angles, if you haven't noticed. So, billboards, when you're driving down the road, all over, you know, everywhere that they could possibly advertise these days, they do it. The latest thing that just blows my mind is not only do they have commercials, but now they started to advertise in the bottom section of a TV show. It's like we're watching 24 the other night. Great show. Did anybody see it? So, it was a good one. Uh, not as great as all the other previous seasons, but still good. But anyway, so now they advertise, whole nother subject. Now they advertise during the show at the bottom of the screen. It's unbelievable. Advertisers are like, you just need this item. We're at dinner last night and Clarissa, my wife, she gets a text message from AT&T telling her about the latest gear and gadgets at AT&T and that she needs to get them in her as a holiday bundle for, the, for her loved ones. And I was just like, are you kidding me? They're text messaging? And don't even let me start on email. How many emails do we get a day where they're like, the one-time only sale, come and get it now. It's going fast, you know, and so advertisers all over the map saying, hey, You, not only do you want this, you need this to be the person that you need to be. We, as a society, as Americans, we are so so a group of people that are discontent. We're discontent in so many ways. I was reading this book this week, Uh, Jesus Wants to Save Christians by Rob Bell. Amazing book. If you want to, if your mom's like, hey, I'll get you a book for Christmas, this is one of them you should get. Uh, Phenomenal. But he says a a couple of stats in there that just totally blew my mind. Here's the first one. Did you know that America makes up 5% of the world's population? Okay, so there's 100% of the population. America makes up 5%. We spend and are in charge of more than 20% of the world's wealth. Okay, we make up 5% of the population or less, and we spend are in charge of more than 20% of the world's wealth. It's unbelievable. The average American teenager, get this, spends $150 on stuff that they want a week. They take the average American teenager spend over $150 on the stuff that they want. Unbelievable. But listen to this part. that There's more than 6 billion people in the world. Over 3 billion people, more than half of the people in the world, live on less than $2 a day. Live on less than $2 a day. And yet, the American teenagers, you know, are spending $150 a week. And what about the adults? We're probably spending more. Unbelievable. Listen to this. Most of the people in America, over one-third of Americans have more than three cars, three or more cars in their family. More than one-third of Americans do that. And most of the world, they don't have any cars. You know, if you took the average, average person in the world to set them up here, they'd be like, a car? What's a car? I have a bicycle, I, I walk lots of places, and that's how I get, get places. And we as Americans, a lot of us have two, three, sometimes four cars, and <laughs> sometimes there's like one or two drivers. It's unbelievable. Listen to this one. I got this one from the Rob Bell book, too. Americans spend more annually on trash bags, than, nearly the, than the rest of the world spends on all their household goods. Okay? So you and I, we spend more money on trash bags than the rest of the world spends on all their entire household goods for the year. It's just crazy. The abundance that we have is unbelievable. And my hope is not that you would feel guilty and that you'd leave me and, oh man, I'm such an idiot, I'm so wasteful. But man, I just want to empower us to have knowledge to begin to change things. You know, I think it's beautiful and we can begin to understand what's really going on you know, and then do something about it. So if you look at throughout all of history, there has never before been a place like America. The wealth and the amount of stuff that we have has never been precedented in the history of the world, ever. If you go anywhere, anytime, any place other than America, they've never seen what we have right here. You know, this country has been blessed tremendously time and time again. And so that begs the question, why are we so unhappy as Americans? Why is it that the number of people on antidepressants in the last decade has tripled in America? Why is it that we sit down and we're like, man, why, why are we so many of us in counseling and trying to figure out how to be content with what we have and how to, how to figure out this discontentment we feel when we lay awake in bed at night and we're just like, man, why am I here? It is a problem that reigns true for almost all Americans you know, to some extent. We are just a group of unhappy people. You know, especially when you compare a sample with the rest of the world. They'd be like, you guys are crazy. You have so much, and yet you're so unhappy. And I'm like the biggest. I'm the biggest offender on our staff. know, I was like, guys, you do not want me to teach this subject because I'm never content. I'm never satisfied. I'm always looking for the next, you know, greatest and that kind of thing. So the Bible says there are five consequences that we will face on a daily basis if we do not learn this contentment piece. So the five consequences that we will plague us for the rest of our life. Here's the first one says that we will become terribly tired. We will become tired. It says in Proverbs 23, verse 4, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. You know when you, you have to get the latest and the greatest like I do? You have to figure out a way to get it, a way to pay for it. If it's big enough, you have to figure out a way to get it home. You have to assemble it. Then you have to get rid of your old stuff. And in the process, it becomes exhausting. You get done at the end of the day and you're like, Man, what did I do with my day? And you do it all to get this thing that really doesn't bring you satisfaction and you get it and you want the next greatest thing so the first thing that we're going to be plagued with if we're not content is being tired the second one is we'll go into debt we're going to credit card debt and we'll pay for stuff that we cannot afford did you know the average american spends a thousand dollars on christmas stuff okay a thousand dollars for every thousand they spend they go thirteen hundred dollars in debt you know it's unbelievable we're spending more than what we have Why? Because we think it's going to satisfy some desire within our soul. And we think, if only I could get this, then I would be happy. It's totally sad. So, you know what I did on Thanksgiving? So, hung out with a group of our friends, and it was awesome. And I came home, I looked in the driveway, and there's a paper there. I was like, Clarissa, we don't usually get the paper just on Sundays. I don't know why the paper's there. So, I went and grabbed it, opened it up, and all these ads, okay? Ads for stuff like you cannot believe for Black Friday sales and coupons. And so, I'm telling you right now, I don't need anything. I don't need anything at all, not even the latest Apple gear. You know? But I saw the ads, and I started flipping through them. I'm like, Clarissa, we could use this and that, a new bedspread, some new pots and pans. And I was like, Clarissa, what about a Nintendo Wii? Our, our daughter's six months old. I was like, let's get it for her for Christmas. She'll love it. It'll be the best thing ever. And Clarissa's looking at me sitting on the couch. She's like, you are crazy, Ryan. She's like, you're not satisfied. And why is it that I flipped through the ads and was just trying to scheme up you know, what I could possibly get this holiday season. Ecclesiastes 5 says it like this. The more money you have, the more money you spend. The more money you have, the more money you spend. That's why Americans, time and time again, you get a raise, and what happens? You spend the amount that you got in a raise. All of a sudden, that extra money that you have is just gone. And where does it go? It goes to stuff that we don't need and just want. So we're, we're tired all the time. We're in debt. Third one is that We worry. Okay? We worry about our stuff. We worry about what's going to happen to our stuff when we're gone. How do we protect it when we step out for a minute? Who's going to get it when we're gone? What are people going to think if I pull up in this car, if I wear this outfit? We worry all the time. It's one of those things that just makes me sick because I do it. You know, I'm like, why do I find myself worrying when really nobody cares? Nobody cares about anything other than themselves typically. And yet I worry what other people are going to think all the time. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says it calls it like this. Uh, workers may or may not have enough food to eat, but at least they can get a good night's sleep. So saying, hey, if you're a worker out in the field, you know what? You may not have enough to eat, but you're going to get a good night's sleep. But listen to this next part. The rich, however, have so much that they stay awake at night worrying. Why do they worry? Because they have so much stuff. And if you haven't noticed, when we get more stuff, the more stuff that we have, we have to get stuff to protect our stuff. You know, and it's insane to me, but it just accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. And pretty soon we're like, How did we end up here? You know, it's because we worry all the time about our stuff and we want to protect it and keep it safe and keep the best and keep it clean and all this stuff. So the the first three consequences, if we don't figure out this piece about being content, we'll be tired, we'll be in debt, we'll worry. And the last one, actually there's two more, we'll be in conflict. We'll be in conflict with the people around us. You know, there is a reason why God said to the people of Israel, he's saying, do not covet. Don't want what other people have because it never brings out good qualities from within. Why do people get divorced? Oftentimes it's because one person's like, I want to go on vacation, I want to save for retirement. And what happens is they have a conflict of interest, you know, and all of a sudden there's to- turmoil and there's frustration there. Uh, this is one of the most painful things I've ever seen is when somebody dies, you know, rather than everybody coming together and like supporting and loving and encouraging, people conflict and they fight about. Who's going to get what through the inheritance and the will? And you, I didn't get my fair share. I got left out. And it's like, people, hello, somebody just died. Let's all be on the same page and love and be there and support each other. But that's not the way it plays out in today's society. So conflict arises. James 4.1 describes it like this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? He's saying the, the reason why you're fighting all the time is because of the desires that are in your heart and in your head. That's why. So you're tired, you're in debt, you worry, you're in conflict. And the last thing is that we're totally dissatisfied. We get the newest, latest, and greatest, and pretty soon it wears off. We're not satisfied with what we have. The perfect example for me is the iPhone. So uh, a year and a half ago, I, uh, I'm watching TV with Clarissa, and I'm like, hey, do you see this new phone that's coming out? It's an iPhone. It looks amazing. I think it's going to be the coolest phone ever. So I was like, Clarissa, do you care if I get it? She's like, you want the iPhone she's like Ryan it costs a lot of money I don't know if you should get it I was like Clarissa if you let me get the iPhone I'll never want another phone for the rest of my life <laughs> And so she's laughing and she's like are you serious I'm like yeah I'll never want another phone So I get the new iPhone okay I got the actually the old iPhone now So I get the iPhone <laughs> I get the iPhone I'm content for a year you know and then this last summer I'm watching commercials and there's a new iPhone coming out in July you know called the iPhone 3G And so I go to Clarissa I sit her down I'm like, Clarissa, there's a new iPhone 3G. It's going to be amazing. There's better, batter, better battery life. It's faster. It's quicker. It's more efficient. I can respond to emails and check my Facebook quicker than ever. You know, I was like, Clarissa, I need this. She's like, right. I thought you were going to be content with a regular iPhone. I was like, well, I was, but now I'm just not anymore. And I was like, I, and so I schemed up a way. It didn't cost me any money to upgrade to the new iPhone. So I got the new iPhone. I sold my old one, sold some other stuff. And so <laughs> so I have the new iPhone. I come home one day and I'm like, "Hey, hey sweetheart. You know what? I I work with the students at K2. I let them use my phone that always gets dropped. I was like, I think I need a protector case for my iPhone." She's like, "One more thing." And so I buy a protector case. And then I'm in my buddy's car, my buddy Dave, and he has this cool car adapter where you plug it in and it charges your iPhone and it plays it through your stereo. And so I go home to Claire and I'm like, "Babe, I got to have this car adapter." You know why? Because i got to be able to listen to sermons and messages and books and cool music in my car. You And she's like, I thought that was it. I was like, well, that's it. No more. And so then, I'm not kidding you, a couple months ago, I was like, hey, Clarissa, you know how the iPhone comes with those white earphones? Well, they really kind of hurt your ears after a while. And when you're at the gym, it doesn't feel good. And there's these new earphones that go inside your ears. They're really, really top of the line. I was like, can I get those? And Clarissa just rolls her eyes. And she's like, are you ever going to be satisfied, Ryan? And the reality is, gang, is that we are not, we are never, ever, ever satisfied with the stuff that we have. You know, we're always going to think, if I could just get this, the newest, the latest, and the greatest. And so, are you, K2, just like me, are you tired of being in debt? Are you tired of being tired? Are you tired about worrying about stuff all the time, being, being in conflict with the people around us, and being totally dissatisfied? And man, I am. And so, the good news is, is there's hope for us. Paul gives a formula in the middle of 1 Timothy, that talks about this exact issue. And so, Paul, let me give you a little background. Paul was the guy who had the encounter with God firsthand when he was on a horse. Rode to, uh, he was on a road, lightning strikes, and he encounters God. And so he was a Pharisee beforehand. And now, all of a sudden, he is crazy for Jesus. He's telling everybody that he can. He's doing all that he can you know, to say, hey, Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. You've got to follow him. And so, Paul, he's getting up there in his years. And so he writes this letter to Timothy. Timothy is his spiritual son, is what he calls him, his protege. You know, and so Timothy is leading a church in Ephesus at the time. And so Paul knows that he, his days are numbered. I mean, there are people after Paul left and right. Everybody wants this guy's head. Everybody who's not a Christian, they're like, man, there's a bounty on his life. And so Paul's like, I'm going to write this letter to Timothy for this reason, so that he can be as effective as possible in his church at Ephesus. So that's the whole reason why he wrote 1 Timothy. And I just want to take you to, uh, to the formula part of it. Again, it's a great read. If, you don't, if you're not currently reading any, any uh, book in the Bible, read First Timothy. But the formula that he talks about is found in First Timothy 6, verse 6. Here's what he says. So this is Paul talking to Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So I want to talk about that first part for just a second. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So it's a formula. You have godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Okay, I want to talk about just the godliness piece for just a second. The godliness that he talks about here is likeness to God. If you look it up in the dictionary, it means the development of spiritual qualities such as knowledge, affection, dependence, gratitude, obedience, and a way to relate to others. Okay, Likeness to God. But what was happening back in the church of Ephesus at the time, there were false teachers that were going around. And what they were doing was they were preaching godliness. They're saying, hey, it's great to be like God, and everybody should do this. And they were doing it for this reason, because it was, there was a gain for them. People were giving them money. People were enjoying them. People were saying, you're the best. And all the, all the attention was focused on these false teachers. And so Paul wrote this book to Timothy, and he's like, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pursue godliness. Not the kind that the false teachers are talking about, where they're in it, in it for themselves, but the kind that's pure with the right motives and the right intentions, where your likeness to God is what you're pursuing. And so that's what godliness means, likeness to God, pursuing God with the right heart, the right motives, the right intention. And Paul's saying, don't be like the false teachers. You know, do it with the pure motives, right intentions, you know, so that it benefits you in no way. You know, go exactly against what those guys are teaching. And then he says the contentment piece. So he says godliness plus contentment. And contentment literally means an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances, okay? An inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. So it's something that goes on in your head and in your heart where you're at peace no matter what the environment is around you. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, hey, Christ is sufficient for you, Timothy. He's saying Christ gives you everything that you need. Be content with where you're at and the stuff that you have in life and be happy, you know? Make the best of it. It's a state of mind. Another uh, dictionary defines it as a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot in life, whatever it may be. You're okay with it. You've come to terms with it. And so Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, pursue godliness. Pursue the likeness of God with all your heart, with the pure motives, and pursue having the great state of mind that no matter what happens in life, that Christ is sufficient for you. And then he says, the great gain will come. And this is, I think, the part that's brilliant. If you look up gain, it means great wealth. And so I was like, seriously, great wealth? But they don't mean the kind of wealth that you and I think of. Not like your pockets are bursting with money, and you, you, know, you have all the cash you could ever want and more. He's talking about the kind of wealth that comes in heaven and the days that come when we pass from this earth. He's saying that you're going to build up for yourself treasures in heaven. And the cool thing is, is he said also, it also means wealth means satisfaction now. You know, the part where we said oh, we're tired of worrying and being plagued by conflict and frustration all the time. And Paul's saying to Timothy, hey, you can have satisfaction now here in this life and this earth. Totally different than the false teachers had. You know, but you can be content with no matter what your circumstances. And I read that and I was like, man, I want this full life that Paul talked about. He was urging Timothy, hey, you've got to experience this life or else you're never going to get it. And so I just thought, man, we as a people, as a people of K2, my hope is that we can, we can take that, that uh, formula to heart and apply it to our lives this holiday season. So godliness plus contentment equals great gain. You know, and not the kind of gain that we often think of when we hear that. So if you talk about the contentment piece for just a minute, how in the world are we ever going to be a people who's content? You know? And so there's a couple of things that we have to do if we're ever going to get it. And the first one is this, is don't compare ourselves to others. Don't compare yourself to others. Uh, 2 Corinthians ten twelve. Here's what he has to say. Paul, we do, not, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It is not wise. Because here's the reality, is that if we compare ourselves to other people, we are never going to measure up. There's always someone who's better looking, always someone who has more money. There's always someone who we think is better than us. And by comparing ourselves, it just is an endless trap where we never feel good enough. And so, you know, what God's saying is, hey, don't compare yourself to other people. I made you Unique and for a specific purpose, you know, that's now. So, the first thing is don't compare yourself. Second thing is be happy with what you have. We must learn to appreciate what we've got. You know, we've got to be grateful for the things that we do have. Instead of always focusing on what we don't have, man, what if we focus on the stuff that we do have? I feel like there's this if only mentality that's creeped into our lives. You know, it goes like this If only I had a new car, or maybe a used car that's new to you. you know, if only I had a new car then I would be happy. If only I had, you know, a little bit more money, if I made a little bit more money in my job, then I would be happy. If only I could shed these pounds, you know, then I would be happy and I'd, my life would be full. If only I had a different job. If only my boss wasn't there anymore, if he was gone. If only I was in love. If only I had a girlfriend, you know, to talk to and spend the holidays with and eventually somebody to get married to and wake up next to in the, in the bed. If only, if only, if only, then I would be happy. John D. Rockefeller so if you don't know who that is, ask your parents. But, uh, so students in the room. Again, I'm the high school director, uh, student director here. But he said, no amount of money will make, you, will make up for a lack of contentment. So he said, no amount of money will make up for the lack of contentment. No matter how much you have, you're always going to be discontent if it comes to, down to money. So uh, don't compare. Be happy. You know. Here's the third thing. Uh, focus our lives on stuff that will last. Focus our stuff on things that are important eternal. And I got to tell you right now, that's why I do student ministry. So I'm the director of students here at K2. And the reason why I invest my life into students is because I know that God has a plan for their life. And I want to try to communicate that to as many students as I possibly can so that one day they get it. You know, they're going through life and they're satisfied and they're full and not like the, the world says satisfied and full, but man, they are whole beings and they're, you know, being the people that God has designed them to be. And I just said, for my life at this stage right now, the best thing I can do is invest in these students because it's something that's eternal. It's something that's going to last beyond my years and it's something that's going to count. You know, that's what it is for me. Second Corinthians 4.18 says this, we fix our attention not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. What can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. So man, my hope for us is that we would be a people... You know, that that build into stuff that's going to last forever. So don't compare. Be happy. Focus our lives on stuff that will last. And fourthly, remember Christ is the only thing that will truly satisfy our hearts and our lives. John 10.10, one of my life verses. uh, Jesus is talking here, and he says, I came that they may have real and eternal life and better life than they ever dreamed of. You know, what Jesus is saying there is, hey, I want you to experience this full life. That's why I came. That's why I'm here on this planet. You know, and Jesus is the only thing that we'll ever find that will truly satisfy and quench our souls. You know, he's the answer. When Jesus meets all my needs, I'll be satisfied. I will no longer be in want when he does that. So if you look at the rest of the First Timothy verse, uh, just the, the next two verses, uh, verse 7. So for we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. So he's saying, hey, when you're born, you come into this world buff and naked, you know, and that's exactly how you leave. Well, you may leave with a suit on. But that's about it. Uh, All this stuff that we acquire throughout this life, we're not going to be able to take it with us. And then he says, but if we have food and clothing, food and clothing, we will be content with that. And so I just started thinking for me personally, when is the last time that I was content with having clothing and having food? You know, and it's been a long time where I was just content with those two things. And man, my hope is that we (laughs) we could learn to be content with having food and clothing and shelter You know, and and if that was the stuff that we focused on, if we began to focus on Christ with our heart and our lives, I think it would look a lot different. So Paul is one amazing man. Listen to what he says in uh, Philippians 4.11. So you guys always see like the the football players with uh, Philippians 4.13, you know, tattooed across their face. But the verses before that are stinking incredible. Here's what he had to say. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So Paul's saying, hey, I learned it. I learned how to be content no matter what. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Okay, So he knows what it is to have abundance and to have little. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul says, I've learned the secret. No matter what I have, no, it's not circumstantial. And the answer is, verse 13, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. He's saying that the answer is Christ. He's saying "And through Him, I can do anything in the world. You know, and I can be satisfied with where I'm at today and the plans that God has for me, but only through Christ, not his own doing. Not by having tons or not by having little. Only through Christ who gives him strength. I just think it gives you a whole new appreciation for that verse. You know, so then when you see a football player with it on there, you're like, oh man, I know, I know the background as to why Paul was saying that at that time. So Paul understood godliness plus contentment equals great gain you know, and satisfaction here and now. So begs the question, did Paul have clothes? Did Paul have clothes like you and I do? Probably. Yeah, most of the time I think he probably wore them. Did he have food? Yes. Was it good food? Not always. You know, did Paul have health? He didn't. You know, one of the things we pray for all the time is health. You know, Paul ha- ha- was plagued with a thorn in his side. He had terrible eyesight. And he was in jail time and time again. And a, just a guess, you know, health care 2,000 years ago in jail was probably not up to par. You know, could be totally wrong on that, but just my guess is that it probably wasn't that great, the healthcare. Did Paul have a place to live? The answer is yes. You know what it was? He had a tent, he lived in prison, and he lived in other people's homes oftentimes. You know, that was his place to live. Did Paul have the latest Apple gadgets? You know, the iPhone and the MacBook? Maybe, you know. So uh, wasn't Paul one incredible man? He understood the formula of godliness plus contentment equals satisfaction now and in the life to come, and he applied it directly to his life, and he lived it, and he experienced the full life that Jesus talked about time and time again, and he was urging Timothy, Timothy, I want you to experience this too, and I want your people, the church of Ephesus, to experience it as well, and only then will they experience, you know, what the full life really is, and so my hope is that we could, we could experience this full life this next year, um, and I want to tell you about a guy, I'm the director of high school students again, so I told you guys that like 10 times now, but um we took a mission trip this last year, we, and I said, let's keep, it clo- let's keep it local so that every student can afford it. It was 49 bucks. We had scholarships for anybody who wanted to go. And so our hope was that we could just uh, open the eyes of our students to the needs that are going on right in our city and ha- have them see with totally different lenses what's really going on in this valley and in this city. And so um, we did tons, tons of activities. We'd love to tell you about it at a different time. But um, we took our students one morning. We said, all right, we want you to find a person in need downtown. We went to Pioneer Park said, find a person in need and take them to breakfast. You know, just get to know them, get to know him or her story, you know, love them, listen to them, hang out with them, you know, spend the morning with them. And so I took my group of students, we have a picture, picture of them, and so we're, uh, we're, we're headed down and we're looking for a person, and my guys are like, well, Ryan, we're hungry and we, we're thirsty, so let's go to Starbucks. So we went to Starbucks before we went, and, um, and w- my students all got a little scone and their coffee, and so we're walking around looking for people in need, which... This didn't make sense to me totally that, you know, we're looking for people in need, but yeah, we have our coffee and our scone we have to have before we can go and help people. But, um, <laughs> sorry guys, but uh, it's just the reality of us as Americans. I'm exactly the same way. I had my iPhone with me, so you could, could rag on me too. But, um, so we're in need and we're so we're praying and we're like, Lord, would you direct our steps? We want to meet a person that you have ordained for us. We don't want to just uh, take this lightly, but we know that you have a plan. You know, and we want to share our love with somebody today, and so we're praying and we're walking through Pioneer Park, and we see a guy sitting down beside a tree. We walk up to him, and we're like, "Hey, you know, I'm Ryan, and we're with K2, and we everybody introduces himself, and we're like, we just want to take you to breakfast." And he's like, "Oh, sweet." He's like, "I'm in." I was, I was like, "Where do you want to go?" And he's like, "Well, let's go to Denny's." And we looked at the time, and we had wasted all, so much time at Starbucks and stuff, we didn't have enough time for Denny's. And so we're like, "How about McDonald's?" And he's like, "Yeah." And so we show up at McDonald's, and we're like, "Anything that you want on the menu?" And he's like, "Anything." like, dude, anything. He's like, I'm going to get hot cakes. And so he got his hot cakes and we sit down. His name's Milton, picture of him there. And so we're like, Milton, how long have you been on the streets? And he's like, well, I've only been on the streets for a couple months, uh, a month or so. And I was like, what happened? What's going on? He said that in June of this year, okay, so like six months ago, that his family was driving in a car, his wife and his two kids, and they got hit by a drunk driver. This is in Colorado, and his wife, his two kids died instantly. He's like, I lost my home. I lost my job, I lost my family, I've lost everything. And I'm sitting there and I'm just choked up. I'm like, holy smokes. You know What a rough go for this guy. And I said, how are you coping? How are you doing this? And he said, you know what? He goes, I'm pursuing Christ. I know that Christ has a plan for my life and I don't understand, it doesn't make sense. He says, but I'm still gonna seek after him and with all the days of my life, no matter what, no matter how bad it gets. And I just started thinking, guys, for a minute, I was like, if you took my wife and my kid away, you know, and my home and my job and everything, would I still seek after Christ with all my heart and, and seek to please Him all the days of my life, like Milton was saying? And I, I would hope so, but Milton was living it out. You know, and our students are sitting there and their eyes are watering and we're like, whatever we can do to help you. And so he came and he was part of our community. He'd show up on Sunday mornings. A group of us got him a birthday present and he was all excited about it. And just uh, a couple months ago, he, uh, he found work in California And so he moved there and he's working, you know, doing electricity stuff out in California. But just an amazing story of seeking after Jesus and being content no matter what the circumstance Milton was. And I said, what an awesome illustration for my life. And so when I have times when I doubt or I struggle, I'll think to Milton. I'll be like, oh, all right. Think of what, what Milton's been through and that he's kept the faith and that he's kept, you know, pursuing godliness and pursuing contentment and he's experiencing this satisfied life. I would say... My problems in comparison don't even come close to measuring up. And so I'm like, man, make me a man like Milton, like Paul, like so many of that have been before us, you know, that, that have got it. So I want that full life. Imagine if every single one of us in this room took it to heart this year. We said, hey, for this holiday season, we're going to pursue Christ with all of our hearts. We're going to pursue godliness and contentment. And we're going to experience this satisfied full life they talked about time and time again. I think that we'd be more, more inclined to give rather than to receive in this holiday season. I think that people at our workplaces and our neighborhoods would be like, man, what is going on in you? Why are you so content? Why are you pursuing Christ? And they're like, do you not realize the economy? Don't you want more and more and get, want this thing to turn around and get better and so you can have more affluence and more stuff and then be happy? And you're like, well, I hope it turns around, but not for those reasons. You know? And it would just be a totally different mentality and a way that we lived. And I think that's the way of Jesus. Wouldn't that be what Jesus would want for us? And so, man, my hope is that we could experience this full life that Paul talked about time and time again. And then we're going to be people who are really, truly satisfied at the core of our being. And we're not going to be searching to fill it in some other awkward way that we often run to. And so you're here this morning, and maybe you're in this first camp. Maybe this is you. Your life has been about bringing you pleasure. Whatever you can do, wherever you can go, whatever you can eat, whoever you can hang with to make you happy, that's what you're going to do. My hope for you, if that's you this morning, is that you would experience this godliness plus contentment. You know, that you would say, all right, I don't get either one of those pieces, godliness or contentment, but I'm going to start to get them today. I'm going to begin this journey, and that you would start to live that out, you know, and pray every day. Say, Lord, help me to understand what it means to be godly, to be like you, and begin to read the scriptures, and pursue being content with where you're at in life. You know, and if you're here this morning, and you don't have a clue about who Jesus is, and you're just like, man, I just showed up at K2 because I'm searching for truth, or Maybe somebody drug you here and they're like, hey, you need to sit here and I'll buy you lunch afterwards. Maybe you came for the free coffee. Maybe you came for babysitting in the back. You're like, somebody will finally watch my kids and so I just want to drop them off and sit for an hour. You know, if you're here this morning and you you don't know about Jesus, man, he has plans for your life that are outrageous. And my, my encouragement to you is just open your heart to him whenever you're ready. He's not going anywhere and he is real and he is true. And man, if you're like, man, I want to open my heart to him, but I don't know what that looks like or how to do it, you can grab me, you can stop by the information table, grab the person that you came with. There's prayer every Sunday in the back of the red building. Stop by and ask them. But man, know that his plans for you are outrageous and they're full and they're eternal. And man, it's gonna be an amazing, amazing ride for you. And not always amazing like the world talks about where you're gonna to have tons of wealth and you're never gonna have another problem ever again, you know, but a life that is gonna leave you satisfied and full in the end. So maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're, you're this first guy and your life is seeking to bring you pleasure. Maybe you're the second guy, and part of the formula is broken. You know, you've worked your whole life at being content with what you have, and you're okay with that, but this pursuing Christ with all your heart, with pure motives and pure intentions, you don't have that peace. You know, man, what would it look like for you to start to pursue Christ with your heart? You want some good books to read? Grab me afterwards, I'll tell you tons, you know, but begin to understand that you've got to pursue Christ. Or maybe you've got the godliness piece. You, know, you pursued Christ with all your heart, and you have right motives, and you're seeking Him all your days. But you cannot figure out the contentment piece for the life of you. You know, my hope is that you would ingrain, you know, those things that we talked about earlier on your heart, that you'd not compare yourself to others, that you'd be happy with what you have, that you'd focus on the eternal, that you realize that only Christ satisfies, and that every morning you'd wake up and say, Lord, help me to be content today. You know, and he'll give you the strength to do it and have him reveal areas to you where you're not content. And this third camp over here is that you know this formula, you know, and you're applying it to your life and you're doing your absolute darndest to live it out. And knowing that you're not perfect, but if that's you this morning, I just want to say, hey, keep fighting the fight, don't give up, don't pitch in the towel, and think of what a great example we're going to be to the world to say, hey, this person is not like the rest of America. You know, this person is content, and they're pursuing godliness beyond all else, especially during this holiday season. And if that's you, maybe you could take somebody with you this next year on the journey. If you began to understand and get it, you could say, take somebody that, that has no clue, who's just living for themselves, and say, hey, join me in this journey in this process i want you to experience it firsthand so imagine if every single one of us in this room took it to heart if we started excuse me if we started to live this full life that paul talked about time and time again our lives would be marked by contentment and by godliness and may we remember that we don't need anything that we don't have i'll say it again we don't need anything that we don't have we have clothes on our back we have food on our plate we have friends that love us you know and we have a savior who has plans for us that are just incredible. And so, uh, Samantha's gonna sing this song and it's just incredible. I want you guys to sit back, soak it in and ask Jesus, say, hey, what are areas that I am not content? You know, what are areas for me? And then begin to surrender those to him. Or maybe say, which camp am I in? Am I in the first guy, the second guy or the third guy? And then say, what can I do today to move forward, to progress in this area? So soak it in and ask Jesus that during this next song.